Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the news meeting. This is the podcast where we bring you into our newsroom to hear the arguments that happen in meetings just like this every day. Three journalists are going to pitch their top story of the week to me and then together we're going to try and make sense of what the story really is, why or whether it matters and which one should lead the news. I'm James Harding, I'm the editor of Tortoise and before that I was the editor of the Times newspaper and then the director of BBC News. So my job here, as there, was to try to make a judgement about what the running order should be. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. Joining me to pitch their stories are, well, you'll know her by now, Tortoise Editor Liz Mosley. Hello, Hello Liz. Hi. Um, thanks so much for doing it last week. It was brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Keith Blackmore, we worked together at The Times and the BBC and now here at Tortoise. Very good to see you, Keith. And a warm welcome to Phoebe. Phoebe Davis, your first time on the news meeting. Thank you very I'm much. I'm sure that both Keith and Liz will just allow you to walk on to the top of the running order. Oh, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, before we get on to the, into things, I just wanted to do something slightly different because I went to a summit this week about investigative journalism and Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward were there, the most famous investigative journalists of all time, I suppose, the two who in the early 70s at the Washington Post reported the Watergate scandal and brought down President Nixon. And Carl Bernstein said something which I thought captured what the news meeting really, this news meeting, but all news meetings, is really about. Um, He was being interviewed by Emily Maitlis of the News Agents podcast. And just take a listen to what he said. What is the most important thing in many ways we do? We decide what is news. That is huge as reporters and as editors. And so what happened at the time of the invasion of Crimea eight, nine years ago? There was this terrible, horrible rape of Crimea. And a couple weeks after that, and we covered the beginning of it with uh, you know, Russians in camouflage uh, invading the country. And then we kind of dropped it. And what became the biggest story for the next year, especially on cable news? How much did we hear about what was going on in Ukraine? We heard about the disappearance of the Malaysian airliner day after day after day after day on cable news. Where was it? We've got submarines looking for it. Where the hell were the stories about Putin and Ukraine? It is a terrible failure on our part. What is news? And I suppose listening to that, it makes sense of what this is. 
what we're really trying to figure out is what matters because I think as Bernstein makes clear, that matters. So with that in mind, let's give ourselves a flavor of what happened in the last seven days. God save the king. The Metropolitan Police has tonight expressed regret for the arrest of six anti-monarchy protesters. A federal jury in New York found Donald Trump liable for sexually abusing advice columnist E. Jean Carroll nearly 30 years ago. This woman, I don't know her. I never met her. I have no idea who she is. The former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, has appeared before a judge at a police compound in Islamabad a day after his dramatic arrest on corruption charges. It is the latest skirmish in the war between Prince Harry and the tabloids over privacy. An apology from the company that publishes the Mirror newspaper. All right, let's do this snappily and pithily. Long story short, Liz, what's yours? Total whack job. <laughs> Fantastic, Keith. After 374 years, it's time we tried again. By the way, is it just me or are these getting more and more cryptic? <laughs> Phoebe, what's yours? Over-the-counter politics. It's fantastic. <laughs> there used to be one, so you think to myself, that's a headline, and I know what it is, and we're further and further from the world <laughs> of Ron Seal. All right, total whack job. Liz. So this is the story of our old friend Donald. Um, this week in a courtroom in Manhattan, a jury of six men and three women concluded that he, Donald Trump, former president, um, is a sexual abuser. Uh, e. Jean Carroll is uh, his uh, victim. Uh, she's a former advice columnist and author. And uh, the court ordered that uh, she should receive $2 million in damages for the incident which took place in the changing room of a department store in Manhattan, a sexual um, incident, and a further $3 million in damages for defamation that Donald Trump made against her after she revealed uh, details of what he did to her in a book. And he said she was a whack job and making it up and it was all nonsense. So, so I remember us talking about this mm. when she was bringing the case and it tells you something about what I think of justice, that the time I thought, well, she'll bring the case, it won't get anywhere. Now that she really has got somewhere, now that she's got a jury verdict on her side, the next bit that I don't understand is actually what it means. Yeah, and I think that that... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I do I, uh, either. And there are, there are two aspects of this story that I'm interested to talk about, which is what we do here in the news meeting, because there are those who say that the measure of the success of the Me Too movement um, can only be measured in court decisions. So do the men who do these things get done for it in, in colloquial terms and uh, E. Jean Carroll winning some say is the most significant of the Me Too m m uh, movement since Weinstein was convicted in 2020 because the courts did their job and as a, a, a woman who follows these things so often that you end up on the losing side not the winning side so there's certainly a sort of frisson there um, but there are it doesn't feel like a victory because the next day Donald Trump got an hour to himself on CNN uh, with a very friendly audience of Republican and Republican-leaning voters who laughed along with him as he continued to um, insinuate disgusting things about E. Jean Carroll and her husband. He repeated almost word for word in some cases the things that he had originally defamed her with, that he's you know, been ordered to uh, pay damages to her for, and all the other lies, the big election lie, lie after lie after lie and he just had a, a, a clear run at it and I think 
you know... Oh, you had a clear run at it because CNN put him on air or you felt as though the CNN treatment of him on air was not challenging enough? Both of those things. But do you think, Liz, that he shouldn't have been allowed to participate in the programme, in the town hall? Because it was a civil case, it's not a criminal case, Correct. it was a civil case. So do you think that he shouldn't have been given, I know people use that, given that platform mm. or given that chance to... I'm not a no-platform fan. Uh, and uh, the man, uh, you know, we think is going to run for president again. And I think that there is a burden of responsibility on CNN. You know, we're not talking Fox here mm-hmm. to create an environment in which when he lies... It is very clearly and openly said that's a lie. And there was a run of them. And he's continually repeating not just disgusting and offensive and revolting things, but things that aren't true. And it is clear that regardless of what the court says, it doesn't matter to him. Keith, what do you think? Well, I think everything that Liz has said is is absolutely right. But I think that the problem is it, it isn't going to matter either. I think what 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 the whole case shows, in fact, the whole of Trump's last couple of years show, is that American public opinion is now divided into two tribes: people who think that Trump is absolutely despicable, which ought to be, you know, which seems to me any right person, right-thinking person, ought to think, and those that support him, whatever comes up. If if you or I were, you know, been convicted in a in a civil case like that of a sexual assault. That would be, you know, that would be the end of our jobs, our, our reputation, and everything. But for him, it's just a boost to his poll ratings. He, he was found guilty of an act of sexual abuse. He's not been convicted in a criminal case. Correct. No. I, I just make make that point. But th- there's a second point, Keith, which I think is really difficult about this story, which is that because of the nature of politics and because Trump is running. The, the verdict or the findings are immediately catapulted into a political dynamic. And the danger is the finding itself is relegated as a result because people think, well, you know what, you know, Trump rejects it as if it was a character criticism rather than a court finding. And and I, I guess I've got a, a, a thing ringing in my ears, which in that same Woodward and Bernstein conversation, Emily Maitlis said, look, how much does journalism matter anymore? How much does this reporting matter anymore? We're living in a post-truth age. And Bob Woodward slapped the chair that he was sitting on and said, look, that issue of post-truth is up to us. We've got to, we've got to defend the truth, advocate for the truth, and make sure it's not post-truth. And I wonder if you don't run that story at the top of any running order, you've essentially stepped into a trap of Donald Trump's making. I think there's a, that, that's a very good case. I mean, I, think, I, I do think... Um I, I do think Trump is is uh, Trump's not conviction, but the jury's findings are, was probably the biggest news story of the week. But my feeling is that in two weeks from now, it will just be one more thing, one more black mark in his terrible litany of of offences. P- politically, I think that is likely, but it the, the court, as much as the sum total of the impact of of the thing that we call Me Too is not just the court decisions. The court decisions do matter. Yes. And it was almost inconceivable with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial when that was all playing out to imagine a world where Donald Trump could go into a civil court and lose on a case like this. On a case like this that was so historic. Absolutely. That's also key, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, but there were a couple of other uh, cases 
in a similar space that are happening in America that have also gone the way of the accuser. It feels like there's been a shift. I, I would like to believe that is the case. OK, Phoebe, let me ask you something very unfair, which is what do you think this story means in our understanding of that group of people that Keith defines as the come what may, trump what may? What do you think it means in terms of our understanding of the Make America Great Again Republicans? I don't think we can know until we go talk to them. I think broad stroke statements like all these people who support Trump will continue to support Trump. I mean, the suburban mum, like how is she feeling about this? I feel like the moment that was kind of interesting to me was, you know, when we heard, um, I don't know if I can say the line that Trump said, but, you know, grabbing women by the pussy, like that was kind of this key moment, the kind of leaked tapes before the last election, and it didn't make the impact we thought it would. Like, I guess people are thinking, will this make the impact we thought it would? I, I just think that, that that we need to be wary. This feels to me like 2016 again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2016, six months ago, we thought, Trump was finished, you know, we thought he would never get the Republican nomination. Now he's the odds-on favourite to get the Republican nomination. And in 2016, we kept waiting for the bubble to burst. We kept waiting for people to come to their senses and see that this man is was manifestly unfit to become the President of the United States, and he won. Mm. And I, I hate the way that the election campaign such as it is, is is beginning to take that shape all over again. All right, Phoebe, just before we get to Keith's story, and we'll come to you as a sec, before we do that, just by its nature, is this the kind of story that you think should lead? Is this the natural lead for the week? I think there is this bit of an anxiety that in 2016 a lot of people missed the ball, particularly certain political reporters, and that then we kind of put all our focus onto Trump and what he's doing and every minuscule moment in his life. And obviously this is a significant case in the context of Me Too and in wider context, but I think I think you're right to kind of put it with the politics and the case and the polling and then Ron DeSantis gets pulled in and suddenly you're looking at a very overwhelming story that for the average person in Texas is going to look at and go, I don't, what am I meant to think here? Right, you know, right, about just the noise. It's just, it just it's noise. noise. So unless, you know, I think it is, if you can like hit on, I think the point that Liz did that, you know, what does this say about how we're kind of treating these cases, kind of moving on from me too. Yeah. But I think to treat it as this grand moment as we've had with him being indicted and the, the many, many, many times that we see Trump in the news with kind of crazy stuff is that then you kind of get lost in the in spiral. The noise, in, the, in, the, in the Trump noise. Keith? Well, I th- do I think it's the biggest story of the week? I, I think it's the, in some ways it is the most important story of the week, but I don't know that it will endure. All right, well, let's turn to your story, Keith. What was yours? 374 well, years, let's yeah, start again. Talk, talk about <laughs> endurance. I want to talk about the coronation. I know that I'm not exactly... Uh, uh, up to date with my news, uh, <laughs> well, my news breaking, but um, where were you starting? We're starting 374 years ago, not 1066. N- no, no, yeah. because because um, racing ahead, Keith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because in 1649, as I'm sure you all know, yes. we tried a republic before, and I think this is the time now, immediately after the monarchy, uh, after the coronation, that we consider whether, what the monarchy is and and what we're going to do about it. So Charles I goes 1649, then we get Charles II, 1660? About then, yeah, 11 years later, I think. So how did those two Charleses fare? 
<laughs> well, the first one, not so well. And, I mean, the, the, the point is one got his head chopped off and one of them was thought of a bit of a nitwit. Isn't that right? Well, uh, yeah, one was a bit more sort of Trumpian, I think, in his private life. Second. Um, the second, yeah. And... Um, they, they more, you know, the restoration is a, it was what it what it was supposed to be. You know, it was a the restoration of of, of a monarchy when when um, uh, the the two civil wars that preceded Charles's uh, execution yes. ha- had been, you know, to, to finally resolve the question of whether or not the, the monarch had the ultimate control of the country. And and the, the real problem for the republic that followed, briefly followed was that Oliver Cromwell uh, became Lord Protector. And then, incredibly, towards the end of his life, what did he decide to do? Well, when he, as he could see death coming towards him, he decided to nominate his son as his successor. <laughs> so, so we'd gone from we'd gone from one kind of mad principle to another, to the next. mad system to another. Yes, <laughs> but but oh, but you remember I, I mentioned at the beginning that you know that you and I worked together at the Times. So um, not you, not during that period, no, but <laughs> more or less stretching back that far. And I remember not long after starting work there it was one of these royal moments and we were coming to lead a meeting to a meeting editorial where the paper's supposed to say what it thinks and I remember taking aside one of our leader writers and saying I don't understand what do we think about the monarchy with the times and surely we can't add up what we think about the monarchy we surely don't believe in the hereditary principle surely we believe in meritocracy surely we believe in a you know diverse and changing Britain and I remember this uh, one leader writer said, yes, we believe in all of those things, and we're actually Republicans. The Times believes in the in changing uh, the monarchy. It's just it's number 27 on the list of things we want to change about this country, <laughs> and we're never going to get to it. Mm. And I remember thinking that was so brilliantly pragmatic, because I find myself more and more persuaded by the it's number 27 on the list of things we need to change about this country because for all of its silliness and and its pageantry there is something that it's signaling which is we're here with a different idea of time with a different notion about what endures and in a world that's getting faster and in a world in which change is more bewildering having things that seem more constant having things that with a longer term Horizon might be really healthy for a country, might be a good tension between fast and slow. And so, although it's easy to poke fun, doesn't a bit of you think, actually, that's part of the interesting eccentricity of this country and to the good? No, I don't think that, because I think the interesting eccentricity has happened now. We've had the coronation. Now is the time. If if, if we want to make a change and to try to make it look that we we don't still really believe that a god... A God has somehow selected Charles and his family f- uh, to be our our head of state. If we're going to change that, it, it needs a long r- run in. And and you know, I'm not suggesting uh, that uh, we should follow Cromwell's option uh, with with our char- with our Charles. Or even though you could see it would do wonders for the tourism numbers. Um, <laughs> But I am suggesting that, that we've got probably perhaps 20 years before the next coronation. Mm-hmm. So, so why don't we do something now? Why don't we start thinking about what we want the next coronation? But to be fair to him, isn't he doing exactly that? He's saying, OK, we're going to go for a different model of the monarchy. It's going to be a slim down model. It's I, going to be I much harder work. I don't much care what he thinks about it, to be perfectly honest. I but think, I'm not sure the way the monarchy works is that we get to choose. No, but I think that, that, that we should be getting to choose. That's, and that was the but argument that brought that? the first Charles down. 
<laughs> okay, that's, that, yeah, okay, that's, that's a exactly the same order. But, but, but no, what would you no, do? What would, you, what would what, you do? You would have a sort of open would, public commission on the future yes, of the exactly royal monarchy? That, exactly that. Okay, Phoebe, I know that's your first outing. Let's ruin your credibility with all future listeners. Are you a closet monarchist? No, absolutely <laughs> not. But I don't think I verge on the kind of I I don't know how active I am in that I'm pretty inactive and I felt the most interesting thing about Saturday and the coronation was how inactive it felt you know I'm sure there was lots of people who were very moved are you know we spoke about it and people I was surprised that were quite moved by it well I think that was mostly the music um you know and it, it it is interesting as a as a kind of moment but there's a bit of me that thinks that maybe it was a little bit too soon after the funeral and people are kind of, we've already had a mate bank holiday. Right, but let's, but let's, let's ask a practical question. Let's mm. say that you're the editor of a national newspaper yep. and you have to decide how many days King Charles's coronation runs on the front page, right? Yeah. The Friday before the Saturday coronation, does it run the front page? No. The, the Saturday, does it run the front page? Uh, depending on other events at coronation, maybe protests, then yes. Sunday? No. Monday? No. So just so you know, you're not a national newspaper editor. <laughs> in those terms, I mean, there is no way yeah. that you can have a coronation in the UK and not run it at least. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you should have done that. No, maybe Phoebe's age is reading the newspaper. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'm interested. What would you do? What days would you run? The, 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 so the, the critical question here is, am I editing a newspaper and am I trying to sell copies of papers? Yes. In which case you put it on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. When you say that's the critical question... Because because old people buy newspapers and those are the people that are interested oh, in the story. Right, let's just take a break because we're going to hear about your story, Phoebe, and then we're going to separately and together, more separately than together, come to a decision about what leads the news. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Phoebe, what's yours? So uh, my my long story short was over-the-counter politics. This story is about uh, oral contraceptives um, and the ability to provide them to women over-the-counter at a pharmacy service. So in the UK, that's part of this new uh, primary um, care plan introduced um, by Rishi Sunak as part of many plans to kind of get the NHS back in order. And, and this is one of the ways that he's trying to, Rishi Sunak is trying to fix that, is to allow pharmacies to come in and kind of pick up the burden that's being left over by GPs. I mean, I think that's a, a bit of that is to kind of push the issue under the rug and kind of push it to one side. Um, and I think oral contraceptives is one of those good doorstop issues. You know, we're providing more access 
access we're kind of helping you out here um, over the pandemic there was significant issues with women accessing them and in the US this is an FDA decision to their regulatory body and what they've said is that for the first time in the US you can go to a counter uh, as a woman you will have to pay unlike in, under the NHS and you can be given a oral contraceptive Biden is stuck in between a rock and a hard place you know he can't really do much about the overturning of, of Roe v Wade that has a significant impact on women in his country um, but he can't do anything to kind of overturn SCOTUS because of, of how that... The Supreme Court, yeah. The Supreme Court. Um, but so this is something that he can kind of do through the mechanisms he has um, kind of through but the FDA. I get I get that. But Phoebe, aren't, aren't there two problems with this story, which mm. is in the UK, mm. this is really a story about the state of the NHS, yeah. right? As you say, pharmacies providing all contraceptives is just part of the attempt to remedy you know, the backlog, the waiting list for GPs or GP appointments. But isn't the risk that in going after this story, you miss the real story, which is the ongoing waiting lists, particularly for surgeries, the failures to resolve that within the timetable that the government itself set, and you essentially elevate to the top of a running order a story which is really about a technical fix within the NHS for a waiting list problem. And in the US, the reality is that abortion is massively, massively mm. politicised. Contraception isn't. Mm. And the, the, the line on reproductive rights is around abortion, not contraception. Mm. You're right. These are two stories. And I think, to me, I think the UK story is bigger. I think yeah, it's this, an, issue, it's, yeah. it, this issue is an issue with the NHS. And I think, I think the reason I've picked up on the, this kind of oral contraceptives is because... You're right, like, you know, the waiting lists are in a state, but by pushing the issues into pharmacies, you're just delaying the problem that you have because the pharmacies don't have the capabilities to provide this. Liz? Um, I think that the... I thought the announcement also included you can go and get your antibiotics at the pharmacy too. Yes. That's all part of the same yes. policy. Yes. And then there's the corollary is that the pharmacies are closing incredibly rapidly because yes. they can't make ends meet. The yes. sort of business model of pharmacies is sort of broken. So it is really moving pieces on a chessboard where the chessboard is disintegrating as well. Yes. Um, so uh, to, to, to that extent, I think it is... a. a another announcement that's a kind of a nifty looking announcement for the government to say well look at this innovation we've put in place but it's really sort of papering over the cracks and doesn't matter much hold on do you really think that yeah I think because I, I think that it's one of those ones that is the other end of the complaint spectrum which is oh my god why didn't they do this years ago well do you know what I really my, my first thought when I heard that you could rock up at a pharmacy and get some antibiotics is you know how hard it is to get antibiotics from a doctor because they're not r really supposed to prescribe them for you. Mm. Oh, and your worry is that you're going to, we're going to be a more medicated nation as a result? Yeah, because as soon as you have the, a, the, a, a sniffle, you don't need to sort of go th jump through the hoops of pretending you've had it for two weeks and you've tried everything and you're still ill. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, an element of this story too that's interesting, the whole contraception um, side mm. of things, isn't it? Uh, 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 so what will, the, well, what will the effects be of making contraception more easily available mm. to young women what I, I've no I, I don't have an opinion on this I just so what will be the will more women use contraception uh, contraception if you do that are that will there be age limits you know how they how will you how do you 
regulate such a thing? And will all the cost fall on the NHS? Yes, it, that will that will. Follow so if if NHS. that does expand, as it, mm. as you'd expect it to, hasn't the government created yet another way of spending an enormous amount of money? But the the costs already kind of so, you know, NHS services already provide free contraception, which is not something that's available in the US. I mean, I'm always interested in in contraception, um, partly because it was such a cultural moment in the 70s, and this this expansion and kind of the same point will have an impact it does have an impact in the US it's a very different impact because it kind of can fill a gap left by the lack of um, abortion services in the UK it's birth rate birth rate is incredibly important and this is something and it's already being attacked by like members who but say you know what that, I think that, so what I think so interesting about this is it made me realize something that I think that I didn't know that I think mm. which is the problem with the US UK comparisons in the news. Mm. So I got a message um, from uh, Cod saying, you know what you should really do is we should really do something about small boats and Title 42. We should really look at something about the politics of immigration in the UK and the US, people coming over the Channel or over the Rio Grande. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the more you look at it, the less you have to compare the less sense it makes and you suddenly realize that you're thinking about a world in which migration numbers might reach you know tens hundreds 800 million is the number bandied about and it feels like one of those unifying themes like climate change but it just plays totally differently and weirdly even human rights, reproductive rights, plays so differently. And mm. I think that's the issue with this story, Phoebe, is it's, I think, quite hard to land a story which is contraception over the counter mm. because, in effect, you're talking about public service story and a political polarisation story, and they're so, they're so different, aren't they? You could argue, though, that it's a happy coincidence that those two, these two announcements have come in the same week and that it's a chance to address... Um address both those subjects and indeed the difference between the US and the UK. But, but that, I think that's that's maybe where I came to it was that there is there is this kind of marked difference when you have this same news item then underneath you're kind of looking at a government in the UK who politically is just trying to keep a hold of everything together whereas kind of Biden's sitting there like what can I do actively into this situation um, and I think that that to me, I mean, I think is interesting going into whatever elections are coming up, because I agree, you know, it is really hard to take the migration story and the migration story. But as we you know, elections kind of sit at these same points. We've been talking about 2016. Obviously, you know, these two things happen at the same time. I mean, I think I've taken maybe too much of a low earth orbit. And I'm just a bit <laughs> like, this is all a bit interesting. But at the same I mean, to me, I mean, the NHS is still... A really significant issue. Primary care is a really significant issue. Sure. And I think the moment we start seeing queues outside pharmacies in the same in the way that we've seen queues outside A and E and GP so like are yeah, you no, just that, moving the queue. You're, you're, yeah, you may you may well be right now on that. Listen, let's let's get to the bit. The bit where we try and identify what what leads and what doesn't. Um, Phoebe, I think you'll know this, but the rule is you can't pick your own story. Okay. So assuming that you're not picking over-the-counter politics, which of the stories, Coronation or Trump, would you lead with? Trump. Keith? I think it has to be Trump, I'm for. Liz? I think it has to be the Coronation. Oh, it was worth it. The whole (laughs) process was just worth it. For seeing that, the yeah. coronation. Yeah, with regret. 
<laughs> it's like one of those sort of nightly news bulletins. We don't have much for you this evening. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> How about this? All right, well, I'll have a go. I, I, I think you're right. I think the real question here is what's the second story and what's the third, mm. right? And come to the reason why Trump leads in a moment. But curiously enough, I think that in... in and you can hear I'm pausing because I, I don't know. It's clearly that case that on an ongoing basis, the structural problems within the NHS and the strain that's causing in real lives is more important than the show. Mm. And it would be, if you like, a little more honourable to have pharmacies running at the second and the coronation running third. But I think it would be out of step with where interest lies. And I think there is something valuable about the news serving people's interest. This is not the public interest, but people's interest, because the coronation itself does ask you what country you live in, what your sense of history is, what your sense of identity is, in ways that are good and bad. And the fact that in that conversation about the photograph, we said different things about time meant that that landed and registered in a way that was important. So I think I'd run Pharmacies Third. I think it's actually a quite important story in the restructuring the NHS. I mean, Phoebe, you and I have talked separately outside of this room about the future staffing of the NHS, the funding of the NHS, the question of what isn't, isn't free, the extent to which private companies are sort of privatising by stealth in that they're hiring private healthcare. There's a lot happening in that space. I don't think this is a critical moment, so I think that runs third. I do think that, Keith, uh, you're right to run it in the news. I'm not sure that your um, citizens' assembly on the future of the monarchy is an idea that is going to be met with uh, rapturous applause uh, in Buckingham Palace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, great, that's great. And, and who's catering? You know, the whole, they're not answering that call. Um, I think the Trump thing's really, really important, and I think it... it 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 it's so so importantly the front the the lead story, um, and I think I just identify four things about it that are really key. I think a the way you frame it, Liz, is massively important. I it's a milestone in Me Too because it's a finding of a court. Uh, it in that sense, it's not a it's not and shouldn't be subject to debate. The second thing is that it does suggest that something is shifting in the balance, something something has ha, has shifted, and you can't help but think it will change the dynamic in the way in which other people think about these cases, potentially even prosecutions. And let's not forget the backdrop of this is certainly in the UK, this extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily small percentage of cases of rape and sexual abuse that are a prosecuted and, and, and even fewer, of course, convicted. So I think the court milestone is really important. I do think that the Trump presidential prospect is is significantly damaged by this. I think it's silly to think that the Make America Great Again rump is bigger than we think it is. And so I think it has an impact, particularly with the crucial 
uh, women voters in the 2024 election. So that's clearly significant. So for all those reasons, and one further one, the extent to which essentially Republican comrades in arms of Donald Trump are party to the trashing of public confidence, not just in the court system, but the truth. All of those things seem to play in those stats, this story. So it has to be the lead this week. And so my running order, Donald Trump, King Charles III, all contraceptives in pharmacies. That's it for this week's news meeting. Thank you, Phoebe. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Liz, for bringing your stories. Thank you very much. Thank you, of course, for listening. Next week, we're going to be recording this podcast in front of a live audience. We've done it once before in our newsroom, and this time we're going to do it at Picture House Central in London. I'm going to be joined on stage by three journalists, each pitching their own story and then discussing the stories that matter and which one should lead the news. In the meantime, please do rate and review this show or whatever podcast app you use. It really does make a difference. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.